thanks for listening and supporting this podcast. I'm Camille Diaz, and if you are sick and tired of setting goals and not achieving them, jump on over to my website, go.optimized.zone. Enroll in my online course, Driven, and gain access to the exact formula I've used to accomplish my goals, like write a book, increase revenue, lose 30 pounds, and record over 100 episodes of this podcast. Start experiencing the joy and satisfaction that comes with achieving your goals. That's go.optimized.zone. Welcome. This is Money Heart, where we explore the emotional side of money. I'm Camille Diaz, and today we're discussing money on the move. My guest is Laurieann Powell. She's a Young Living Platinum brand partner and an integrative nutrition health coach. She is crazy about building crunchy, compassionate, connected community. Whether taking moms on a snug budget on a grocery store menu tour or to show them healthy options or leading a transformational workshop, her passion is to see you living your passion and experiencing a radiant life. Laurieann, welcome to Money Heart. Hello, Camille. What a pleasure it is to meet with you and talk about our mutual passion. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's start with your initial money story. How did you feel about money growing up? Like kind of what was your first perception? My first perception is just a whole lot of tension and stress and even shame. Uh, the feeling that there's never enough and that every request was very fraught. Like if I said, if I asked for something, you know, there was this, oh no, you know, she asked mm -hmm. for something. And so you were very careful about making requests. Um, I remember too, that my parents were kind of ashamed that they had to look at the price on things, uh, which mm -hmm. is funny because I've since seen that really affluent people are very open about something because yeah. they're looking at value, not whether they can afford it or not. Right. But there was this sense that we didn't have enough, that it was, that there would never be enough. But I, another thing was though, when I did make a request, I would be surprised and delighted sometimes at generosity. And I remember the biggest insecurity was this not knowing how much there was. Like, I didn't know if I wrecked my dance shoes, if that meant it was all over and we're gonna be living in the streets. Or I didn't know if there was kind of a cushion of a thousand dollars somewhere where it was all okay. Mm. I think that was the most, the thing that made me the most insecure mm -hmm. was I didn't know if there was any backup and my parents certainly did not talk about money in that way. Yes. And we, we find that it's very common that a lot of people's parents didn't talk about money. So the kids don't really know if, if one thing happens, are we okay? Is it disaster? I'm not sure. That's a, I like that you brought that up because I think a lot of people grew up that way, just not knowing if it was going to be okay or not and how much flexibility there was in the money plan. Yeah. Did you ever have that common conception that it was um, more righteous to be poor than it was to be rich? 
Yes, but interestingly, that didn't really come from my parents as much as it came from uh, my spiritual perspective. So at a really young age, I actually thought about spiritual things and I wanted to be a good girl and I wanted to live up to God's expectations Yeah. and made a decision kind of to be different from other people in that way. And so I, I kind of read things about Mother Teresa and the, the missionaries of the William Carey age and, and stories about people who just prayed like they didn't work they just prayed and money fell from the sky and a lot of preaching about that in church about you know put all your money in the offering because then god will bless you Mm. (laughs) that kind of which is funny because i've realized that that kind of feeds into a very poverty mindset the idea that god doesn't want you to have anything and so but with my family certainly there was a little bit of a sense that people who had a lot of money didn't share it enough like mm. that 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 you should be generous that you that if someone else needed something you should give away your last bit mm-hmm. and because there wasn't enough anytime my family was generous and they were our home was an open home our home was a home that people who had no place to go for thanksgiving came and had dinner at our house our house is like that too i love that <laughs> yeah so there was this sense of like wanting to share what you have, but there was no sense that of, of the idea that, that that would somehow be replaced. It was, it was very noble to do that because if I gave you a sandwich, then that meant I had one less sandwich rather than that we were kind of all in this together. And, you know, when I had a sandwich and gave it to you, then later you might have an extra sandwich and give it to me. Mm, Yeah. The concept of if I give it away, it's gone rather than if I give it away, it'll come back or there's more. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So how did you start to shift your mindset? I know that that kind of happened a little bit later and in between you did some traveling and things like that with your family. Right. So a, a big part of my story is that when I was, when I was 39, I gave birth to my fifth child. Mm-hmm. and had a total health collapse. Oh, no. I, <laughs> yeah, I had been a homeschooling mom, a church mom, and so I just was going flat out all the time. If mm. there wasn't, everybody always knew, if there's nobody else to run it, Laurieann will. And I just did no self-care. And then this poverty mindset meant that I always felt it was noble to eat the cheapest food. So I was oh. always trying to stretch the stuff that you bought in the dented cans at the back of the store and the stuff that you get in the church food pantry. And, and so it was a lot of wheat, a lot of sugar, a lot of stuff to just fill our tummies. And so, uh, and around that time, my husband was offered an overseas assignment to go to Japan with his company. Oh, wow. (laughs) That was super excited exciting. And because of my faith background, I'd always wanted to live overseas. I've always wanted a chance to tell people what I believed in places that they didn't know Mm -hmm. about the love of God. So I was so excited. And then bam, my health is gone. And I have five children. I homeschool. We don't have a whole lot of background, you know, backup resources. And so I was faced with this choice about whether I would live my dream or whether I would succumb to this health crisis. Yeah. 
And so that was something where I really, I prayed a lot. I asked everyone what they thought. And, and it was funny because everyone's reaction was, well, that'd be a great experience for the children. <laughs> oh, not, not necessarily for you, but great for the children. <laughs> but finally, it, it just came to the point where I just had to say, well, this is my lifelong dream. And I'm probably never going to get another chance. Mm -hmm. I may never be any healthier. I am never going to have any fewer children. <laughs> right. So I realized that I, I just would, I decided that I would just put one foot in front of the other, get on that plane to Japan. And that if they had to dump my body in a wheelbarrow and roll me home. <laughs> so be it. I was not going to miss that opportunity. Yeah. And, so I did. and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I got there and when you move to another country without the skills and without, you know, language and all that, mm -hmm. basically you're a toddler again. <laughs> so right. it was, you're a beginner and there's no shame around that. Now, some of my family members were very ashamed of what an idiot I was because they learned faster than me. <laughs> oh, 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 I see. Well, you know, it's interesting because kids can pick up stuff so quickly the languages and habits. And that's what our, that's what our brains are doing when we're little, we're learning how to assimilate into society. And it's harder when you already have the habits built and your brain is like in one mode. And then all of a sudden you're asking it to switch to a whole nother culture. It's hard. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is that dementia and memory problems was part of my issue. Really the biggest, scariest part. Wow. So learning a new language was a real challenge. Uh, learning new customs was a real challenge. Just getting to the grocery store to get food was a real challenge. You know, plan making a menu plan. You know, between the time I decided what we were going to eat and when I got to the store to buy it, I might forget what the plan was and buy something else altogether. And of course, there were those challenges in another country. I, of course, couldn't read the packages. So the, the vats, they have these big tubs that in America are peanut butter, but in Japan is miso paste. <laughs> so so there were all these challenges. Those are pretty different. <laughs> yeah, they were. And so in a way, it, it almost served me that uh, being blonde, I had sort of developed kind of a little, you know, dumb blonde persona to suit me in certain situations. So in Japan, I was the ultimate dumb blonde. You know, just like, <laughs> like, I'm so confused. Someone help. <laughs> and, I, and I discovered the beauty of uh, something that's called kind of a vulnerable mission where you just show up and you just throw yourself on the mercy of the locals. And you just let them care for you. And, and of course, Japan is a very safe country. So, I mean, we had an episode once where somebody showed up at the door and just, he couldn't speak any English. We weren't speaking Jap Japanese at the time, but he kept saying, he asked us if we could ride a horse and to come. So we were like, well, I rode a horse a time or two. And he, so we jump in his car, he takes us somewhere. and. And we just trusted him because like my husband had once seen him somewhere and we just wow. let ourselves into this adventure where it turned out that we were going to be on TV for the Paralympics because oh. like they took us to the farm of a guy who was, uh, you know, handicapped because of an injury and who had been a, you know, an Olympic champion. So there we showed up kind of with cowboy hats and jeans and he's of course you know, this man is, it's more Western, it's competitive. We had no idea, but it was so fun. And every once in a while, as we walked around town, people would say, I saw you on TV yesterday. Look, it's the Cowboys. <laughs> That's cool. 
American cowboy. So they were trying to bring in that international aesthetic mm -hmm. and we were handy, but we, we just kind of had that experience. So it brought me down to a very elemental level of survival. And I just, I just rolled with it. I just didn't allow my ego. And also financially, it actually, it eased our burden a little bit. Like we weren't trying to do as much as we always had. So mm -hmm. our income was the right amount of income for a family, you know, in Japan. Huh. And so it, that too, like I was able to relax around money and, and his company of course wanted us to succeed. They weren't going to let us go hungry. So, <laughs> so it, I also kind of experienced for the first time, sort of an ease around money. Mm, that's really beautiful that all of that change and struggle ended up actually making some things a bit more comfortable for you. So interesting, interesting balance there that more difficult on one end, but easier on the other end. So you came back to the States clearly, because that's where you are now. And uh, how did, how did that go? What kind of led you to change your focus or what did you do differently when you got back? Well, it's funny because Jeff, while we were in Japan, Jeff's company closed all their stateside facilities. Oh, so wow. he came home to no job, like no job. And so we moved into my mother's basement and, and we lived on our savings while we tried to figure out what was next for him. And he was a, a computer guy in his fifties with no college education, trying to find something. And I, of course, had the five kids to take care of. And we homeschooled. So, uh, you know, that was a full responsibility. And meanwhile, my health was still pretty compromised. It was better. My mental clarity was better. But I still was not in radiant health. I still relied on my children a lot. And so I began this journey of, like, what, what does it mean to be healthy? What is a healthy diet? You know, I had thought that the four food groups would be the solution. Well, I discovered that was not true. So I began this journey of like to learn about organic food and fermented food and, and all those things. And I had a friend that I had met many years before we reconnected and both of us were in the same state for different reasons. But although the real reason is just being a mom in America in the you know, 20th century, right? Yep. Too many demands, not enough self-care. So That's she kind of sums up being a mom for many, many people. Too many demands, not enough self-care. Yeah. I should make that my health mantra. There you go. <laughs> it's so true. So anyway, our friend invited us to, to come to Oklahoma to visit with her and to drink her fresh goat milk and eat her organic chicken eggs and help in the garden and just sort of get some respite care really. So we came here and my husband was offered a job within just a few days. And so we bought a home, we bought a little farm and just kind of flipped 180 degrees what we were. Wow. So you went from in Japan where you kind of, it was a little more city, city living and, uh, and then basement and then country house. <laughs> then country house on five acres we sold our house in Massachusetts and of course that went a long way toward a nice house here oh oh yeah Massachusetts to Oklahoma yeah definitely <laughs> yes. exactly. and so that again gave us a little bit of financial ease that we were able to have a really small you know mortgage and all that mm -hmm. and then we began to teach other women 
We wanted to be the women that we wished we knew when we were younger. We had a mom support group where we taught women how to peel a carrot, <laughs> how to cook from scratch. Wow. We had women in our community that grew up driving through at Taco Bell and had no other skill set other than taking the money their husband earned and going somewhere to buy food that was wow. already prepared. So, so we started that and it was thrilling. It was just thrilling to be part of a community of women who were all making this decision together, all wanting to take care of our families. And all of us were financially strapped, right? Because we were all at-home moms with a you know, husband in, a, in an economy. You know, I often say we now live in a two-income economy. Oh, yes, we definitely do. Anyone below like upper middle class, all the assumptions of how much you're going to pay for food, how much you're going to pay for your home, how much you're going to spend on Girl Scouts and, you know, all those things mm -hmm. all assumes two incomes. Yep. So yep. we were trying to make it affordable. We were trying to make it uh, easy. And so that's when we developed the grocery tour. Let us show you where the real food is because real food is cheaper than convenience food but they hide it on you. <laughs> so. <laughs> is this, so I've heard this concept before, like of shopping around the outside edges of the store. Is that part of that? Yes. Okay. The thing is that the outside edges, and then essentially in each, in each aisle, there's like one food item or two and the rest is junk. So you go down the kind of the, the cereal aisle and there's, there is oatmeal. There is. Yep walk past all this colorful, you know, stuff to get there in the, you know, in the juices aisle, like there's all this crazy stuff with added sugar. Mm -hmm. but, but there is some juice, you know, if you, there is juice, juice, there is juice. Yeah. In the dairy case, there's all this, you know, uh, pre-prepared cheese foods, substances, but then there is like real cheese, like down there, below. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's like teaching them to like know where you're going, dash down those aisles, don't hesitate in front of the cheese doodles, grab the, you know, grab the, the real food. Mm -hmm. so, so yes, taking them to show them some of those basic concepts and I gave them a menu. And as we were going along, one of the, one of the things we kept coming up against is what did God mean when he said, this is how you should eat, this is how you should live, and mm -hmm. this is how you healed and so we came up kind of against the essential oils and that's where that began where I just we realized oh there's this herbal medicine that we never knew about before and we can we can use that today like that's not just bible times it's not just it's not just you know the crazy stuff in the head shop alongside the 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 you know the pipes and the and the right and so we began implementing those oils. And what we discovered is that it made people feel so much better. They were willing to invest. Like these moms who had very little were willing to invest in something that made them feel so much better, that helped them overcome their tiredness, that meant they didn't have to spend the money on an emergency room visit because their child is tugging on their ear a little. We gave them remedies that were affordable and that would make a difference fast mm. and, and kind of gave them a first response. Now, when I was a kid, you never went to the emergency room for anything. Like, <laughs> I don't 
had to be broken. You know? Right, broken, bleeding. Yep, yep. But today, you're con- you feel like you're a bad mommy if you didn't run to the doctor for every little thing. Uh-huh. So I loved giving women this little toolkit that was sort of like, before you panic, try this. Right. Kind of giving them, you know, a, a book that was a manual of these are things to try before you panic. And of course, you're going to go to the doctor sometimes. Of course, you should take sure. responsibility. But all those times, I'm, I'm sure you've you've had this as a mom. It's Friday afternoon, 4:30. The doctor closes at five, and your kid is doing some little thing, and you're like, Oh, oh my gosh. gosh! When I was <laughs> when I was a newer mom. I wish that I would have had somebody super experienced nearby because we didn't have family that lived close to us that could have could have let me know when it was appropriate to panic and when it wasn't a big deal. That would have been really, really nice. And now, you know, it's what, 16 years down the road, a little more experience. <laughs> but even still, there have been times that, that, you know, I think people have introduced me to oils and things like just the peppermint, for example. If my kid feels nauseous, there's not a lot a doctor can do other than give them one of those like anti-nausea tablet thingies. But that's rare that they're going to feel it in the middle of the day and that I want to actually take them in just because they have an upset stomach. And so I've had them like, well, here, let me put a drop of peppermint in your hand. You smell it. And they do. And they're like, oh, I feel kind of better. Like, great. <laughs> so simple. So it's a great, it's a great way to be able to try something first and see if they're just a little bit off and can we get them back on track? Is it really an emergency? Do I need to panic? Do I not? It's, it's, a, it's a lovely way to take some stress out of, out of people's lives. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how did this change your health? Because now you, 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 you had told us you were feeling not so awesome, you know, for, for years, it sounds like you had years of, of health struggle and you've gotten your food back on track, eating real food, um, not the broken, dented, ultra pasteurized, super processed, filled with salt and sugar products. Um, And then how did this, how did this also transform your money story? I did feel better. I mean, whole food had made me feel better. And then essential oils just ran, ramped it up to a whole new level where I can honestly say that I now feel better and healthier than I have since I was 10. Because when I was 10 was when that puberty, you know, blah, 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 all happened. And I started having migraines and, you know, PMS and all that. And I essentially tolerated that, you know, until 10 years ago. And so I felt so much better, which meant I could share my story all over. So we began traveling and, and going places. We actually had the opportunity to travel back to Japan and share. Oh, how cool. With our people there. And so my organization just really took off kind of through the homeschool moms because they were the people who most benefited from this. If we could get them to make that first investment, like that was the hardest part. Right. $150. I don't know about that. Where is that going to come out of the budget? But if we could get them to do that and then they would share with others and others and others. And um, soon I had thousands in my young living group and the money began to roll in and it began to be significant. And so I started 
having this financial success far beyond anything I could have dreamed. I mean, I wasn't doing it for money, but suddenly we had to start thinking about money. Like we had to start thinking about this as a business and about tax deductions and yeah, and, yeah. and being a good steward of what we have. Mm-hmm. And I achieved a certain level of success when I, when I achieved platinum, which is the, the rank I'm at now, uh, it was breathtaking. Like the amount of money coming at me, being responsible for just was breathtaking. And I didn't know, the biggest thing is I didn't know how to make a decision when the decision wasn't based on whether you had the money or not. Oh gosh, what a great point. Yeah, because you just spent, what, 45 plus years of all decisions are made based on can I afford this or not? And that's kind of the the limiting factor was money. And now you're suddenly by providing value for people thrust in this position of I have money and I can choose if I want this or not, if I need this or not. And you hadn't built up your, your other qualifications, Exactly. It was like, it was like being in a yard with no fences. Like, I don't know how far I can go. And Mm. so the day came when I, I, I attended one of these big, you know, woo woo business things where they're going to teach you how to get to the next level and And once I was there, what I found was that it was all addressing people way further back in their journey. It was kind of all about getting that first lead, making that first phone call. And, but one man spoke, and he had had a similar issue that the more money he made, the more in debt he was. So I went up and asked him, I said, so, uh, you know, the issues I have are not the issues everybody else has here. Uh, what do you recommend? And I told him a little of my story. And he recommended a certain therapist to me. And um, her, her therapy is very uh, alternative, holistic. But essentially what you do is you, you talk about these things. You talk about money. You say, you talk about how your family talked about money. She sort of asks leading questions. And she said, uh, what do you want to call this talk? And I started to say abundance because I was having such a hard time with abundance. But instead I, you know, I thought about, I was like stewardship because right now I have abundance. I have all the abundance I need but I am so overwhelmed as the steward of it mm-hmm. because, because of my faith perspective. I don't believe it's my money. I believe yeah. it is God's money and I am the steward and I'm just so overwhelmed with having so much more to steward, so many more decisions to make. And, and I seemed to be stuck in my business. Like I couldn't seem to break through to that next level of, of sharing and succeeding. Mm-hmm. And so um, a, a verse came to my mind as we were talking that, uh, that the idea, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And, and I realized that something was going on with me and worthiness, like that I didn't feel worthy of what I'd been entrusted with. Mm-hmm. And that I think it's really common. I think a lot of people have that experience. We spend so much time and effort trying to get the money. We're like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And then if it happens, we finally get there. We're like, yes. And then we go, uh-oh, I didn't make a plan for what was going to happen when this happened. 
I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I don't, I'm nervous now. I'm all freaked out. How? And then a lot of times the money goes away because like your, your speaker that was at the conference said he was more and more in debt, the more he got, because he probably was uncomfortable with that level of income. So, yeah. Okay. So continue. How, then what, then what? That's exactly it. And what I found is I was pushing it away. I was making bad decisions. I was, um, I was, I didn't know, like they say, oh, it takes money to make money. You should invest. But I felt like I was just throwing money at things and not getting any result because I didn't have a strategy, a plan. Mm. Because in my kind of business, as in any business, if you're not expanding, you're contracting. And so you do have to up your skill set and all that. But I felt like I had no strategy for that. And and as I was wrestling that out, I, I thought of that, um, the parable in the Bible, mm-hmm. where Jesus said that a master called his servants and said, I'm going away for a while. And he gave each of them a little bit of money according to what he thought their ability was. So he gave one five bags of money, one two bags of money, and one one bag of money and said, invest this, like increase it while I'm gone. And he goes away, and when he comes back, he calls them into account for what they had done. And the one who had been given five said, oh, look, I, I took the five, I invested it, and now there's five more. And he says, oh, great job. And, and then he speaks to the, the, the second one, I had two. And you gave me two? I've made two more. And he says, great, you know, you are welcome. I'm gonna, you know, promote you. And then the third one says, um, well, I knew you were a hard taskmaster and I was afraid, so I hit it. And um, here's, here's what's yours. And the master is furious. He says, so you knew, did you, <laughs> that I was a hard taskmaster? Then why didn't you at least give it to a banker so I would have made interest on it? And then he says to the other servants, throw him out. You know, he's not worthy you know, to be part of, of this family or whatever. And, and somehow I, the, the light went on with that story, which I'd always found kind of troubling. Why be mean to the one who was scared and afraid, you know? And I realized that in that story, I was that one. I was the one who was so afraid, who was accusing God of being a hard task master, that I was so fearful around the money, fearful of making a mistake that I was not like husbanding it. I wasn't taking control of it. Mm-hmm. And, and once I saw that, I realized that, you know, anytime we listen to a Bible story, we always make ourselves the hero in the story, right? We're all the, we're always the good servant, right? Or I probably would have put myself in the middle, like, you know, not that much. But I realized that I was falsely accusing God of, of not I knew I needed forgiveness and I had applied it to every area of my life except money. So mm. anytime I made a mistake, I was lying awake at night, you know, oh, I just really screwed that up. I just wasted all that money. And because I was still thinking of money as a limited resource, mm-hmm. it was as if I had burned something that could never be replaced. Well, through this whole process and continuing to talk through the story, talk through my feelings, something lit up in my brain and I realized, oh, money. The, one of the words for money is currency. Currency is a movement. Currency is a river. Currency is a fire hose that's spraying 
And I realized that this is where this whole idea of like God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I'd always known that. I never thought about the fact that it's not a thousand cattle. It's a thousand hills. It's all the cattle on a bunch of hills. Right. And somehow my brain, I just expanded. And I, I realized that something I had heard many times, which is that God wants good people to prosper because they will use the money in positive ways. A, a light just went on that I finally thought, oh, that's me. He wants me to prosper because I will use the money in positive ways. And, and that it's our job, righteous people, if we take that river, take that fire hose and direct it, it's something that there's always more. And so we can sort of learn and we can make mistakes. And I realized that that it wasn't the unpardonable sin if I spent money that I shouldn't. If I bought an expensive outfit, that wasn't the end of the world. If I, if I invested something that turned out to be a bad investment, it wasn't the end of the world. And so I began to have just more, walk more confidently, just kind of accept, hey, you know, I am a big shot and that's okay. But it doesn't mean I can be wasteful. It doesn't mean I want to be a miser. Right is in motion and I can kind of redirect that motion. Mm -hmm. I love that. How you said you realize, Oh, that's me. Oh, Oh, I can do it. <laughs> it's like, sometimes we don't, we feel, we think about this in terms of other people. Oh, they're doing this. They're doing that. And we forget the part of, Oh, wait, that's me. I'm it's okay. If I'm the one who's in charge of this. And, and I, I love that concept that you bring up of money, flowing like a current and and being like a river that's not going to shut off there's not a there's not a little valve at the top that is just like oh nope <laughs> unless we do it to ourselves unless we install some kind of dam or shut off or something in there somewhere um, right. and, yeah. and water is such a good example because water is in a cycle right it, mm -hmm. it actually after it goes down river it then goes back up into the sky and back to the top again yes and, and I realized that money is what is created when you take the natural resources of the world and add human effort to it. So, you know, if you take, you know, a, a, an apple seed and put it in the ground and it turns into an apple tree and you take those apples and you turn them into apple pie, at each step along the way, you have increased because you've taken the, the seed and the, and the water and the sunshine and and once I realized that, that it's human energy plus natural resources, which, why it, which is why it's infinite. We live on this huge planet. And if we ever plunder the planet, we can always go, you know, harvest from another planet. We're like this close to that. There's always more. So I no longer had to feel this fear that I had had that I could break something, like you said. Like, I, I was so fearful. What if I really break something? And it's like, well... God has entrusted me, like he's made me the steward. He's given this to me. I can't break anything because it's not like, because he's not the servant who didn't know what was happening, right? He's, I mean, he's God. So when he shows up on the scene, he already knew what, you know, what, what I was going to do. I can't do anything that he wasn't aware of. <laughs> I can't waste so much money that God runs out. So <laughs> I, 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 yes. Yes. 
So is so you will just do the very best that you can, but you no longer have to be stressed about I'm going to mess this up and then it'll all be over because you can you can try again. You can learn from the previous mistake uh, and, and go again. And I really also love that part that you brought about of we want quality people to have the money so that they can make great changes and affect people and, and situations around them. And if you know the quality people reject having the money, then it just leaves it to everybody who's not going to make those fabulous decisions and change the world around them. Um, so I guess uh, us quality people better get on it, huh? Money can do great harm and it can do great good. And it, it, it's all about who is, who's directing, who's directing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Lorianne. I really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for the privilege. I always enjoy our chats and I'm just glad to have the opportunity to share one of them with the world because you always just draw the best out of everyone. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's fabulous. <laughs> you can find Lorianne on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lorianne Powell. She spells her name L-A-U-R-I-E-A-N-N-P-O-W-E-L-L. And she also has a website, lorianpowell.com. Thank you as well to all of our listeners and viewers. I'm your host, Camille Diaz. This show is sponsored by Serenity Financial, a Five Rings financial agency specializing in financial education, life insurance with living benefits, and guaranteed lifetime income. Be sure to follow Money Heart on social media at Money Heart Show and on our website, moneyheartshow.com. Lorianne has a money mantra for us today. Go ahead and tell us what it is. Money flows as a current, and it is our responsibility to direct it. Thank you so much. 